you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Genesis 1. If you don't have your, a Bible with you, we'd love to put one in your hands. Uh, just raise your hand nice and high so the folks in the back know who to give a Bible to. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to keep it. It's a gift to you. Genesis chapter 1, you should be able to easily find your way there. This is foundational stuff here in Genesis, isn't it? We've got one week under our belts, lots of good stuff today. So without uh, any further delay, let's pray and we'll get into Genesis chapter 1. Lord, uh, your, your creation, when we stop to think of it, when we stop to look in the mirror and consider the multitude of microchemical reactions happening in our bodies without our even thinking about it, without our controlling it. We are astounded by the design, the engineering, the programming that has gone into creating all that we see. Lord, I pray that this year, this season, we would have a fresh sense of awe and wonder, and a new fear of the Lord in our lives. A fear of the Lord uh, that moves us, Lord. Not just something we talk about, but a, a knowledge and an awe of you that moves us to worship, that moves us to obey, that moves us to respond with love and sacrifice. Father, we're so thankful that you wrote these things down for us by your spirit, by godly men moved so that we could know things we could never otherwise know, so that we could know things that are constantly questioned in our day and age. Lord, what else can we say? We're thankful that you've given us the truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So as we get back into Genesis chapter 1, um, I was thinking about just being an investigator, a criminal investigator, whether it's a, a murder crime or some other type of crime. If you're an investigator and you want to really find and determine the truth, it is essential that you don't come with a bias as to who done it, right? I mean, if you already come to the crime scene and you've already determined that somebody has not done it, then you may never really be able to discover the truth. So you have to come... Uh, looking at the evidence, looking at, at what you find, making the observations, and then let those evidences lead you to whatever end they will lead you to. We know, studying the Word of God, that these things lead us, the study of the sciences, the study of the world we live in, lead us to God. We started last week, in the beginning, God created. Now, if you can stomach that verse, if you can lean on that verse, if you can believe that verse, Everything else in your life, everything else in the world, everything else in the Bible is a piece of cake, is a snap. Because if God created, then what problem is turning water into wine, really? He made the grapes. He made the water. We'll see that today. What problem is resurrection? If God gives initial life, then resurrection life is also no problem, right? So all these things hinge really for you and I on Genesis chapter 1. And, and there's many people that sit in churches all across the country uh, today, uh, next week, next year, and, uh, well, I'm a Christian, and, and I believe in God, but I'm not sure about God creating. Because things of evolution, things of Darwin have been so deeply ingrained. I mean, I'd, I grew up going to school, and, and then I was a biology major, and I didn't know there was another choice. 
That's the only thing I ever learned. And then I get the Bible, and in the beginning God created, wait a second, now I have a dilemma. I, I never learned that before. I never thought about that. And as I began to investigate, as I began to research, all that happened was I began to, to get a little upset that I had never been taught these things before, I've, and I'd never been taught uh, the challenges with Darwinian evolution. And so uh, my faith in God just began to grow as I studied Genesis chapter 1. And I hope it's the same for you, that you come as an investigator say, okay, Steve, I'm coming, uh, I'm ready to listen, I'm ready to hear. I'm not going to convince you unless your heart is, is open to receive what is the truth of God's word. I pray that God would convince you. It's as if I'm here um, pleading with you on behalf of God that you would receive and listen to the truth. Because it's life-changing. It, it absolutely is life-changing. So we began last week. In the beginning, God created. Not sure what else you could substitute there. Some would say in the beginning uh, there was nothing, and then something just came out of nothing. Well, that defies scientific law. We'll talk about that later. Uh, some would say in the beginning aliens generated aliens dropped us here we're we're an alien experiment that makes more sense than in the beginning there was nothing and nothing became something miraculously that makes more sense doesn't it so i would rather go with the alien but then who created the aliens that's another story but i don't know what you put there but what you put there is very important god doesn't he's not defending himself or or trying to define it just it's assumed in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's as far as we got last time. This is all day one. Day one of creation. Six days of creation. The seventh day God rested. You know that, uh, that verse. You know those, those truths. Verse 3 then, continuing in day one. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So when God created, uh, the first verse says, the things that were created were without form and void. There was no life created at that point. It's almost like God created the stuff, like a potter, starting with the raw lump of clay, he then begins to form and shape that lump of clay, and then he, he glazes it and fires it and, and all that to create his creation. Um, it's almost as if this creation, the earth, was without form, it, whether it's a, a mass of gases and elements or whatever it was, it hadn't yet been, been formed. Darkness is spoken of over the face of the deep. And so the first thing we see is not God created pre-mortal slime. That's not, that's not what the Bible says. We hear God speak for the first time. Can't imagine what that, the voice of God, the voice of many waters, the, the, the depth, the vibration. I don't understand it. But the Bible says, then God said, let there be light. Or more emphatically in the Hebrew, light be. And light was. Now that's a challenge uh, for us because we can't do that. We can't just speak something into existence. But that doesn't mean that God can't. Thank God that he's not limited by our understanding, right? That he can do things and does things regularly that we don't understand. There's a lot in the world that I don't understand. There's a lot of things in life that I don't understand. And that doesn't mean they're not true. So somehow, I don't know how, God's word is able to create. Now, 
if you, if you know this verse, Hebrews chapter 11 says the same thing. Uh, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the, word, that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And it's exactly what we see today. The things that are made, the things that we see, that we touch, that we handle, all of these things are made up of cells. And then inside those cells, there are, you know, there, there's the nucleus. And inside the nucleus is protons, neutrons, electrons, and, in, and even deeper than that, scientists are going. The things that are made are made of things that are not visible. And, and that didn't become evident. I think Leeuwenhoek was the first guy that, that put stuff under the microscope and saw the little cells. And, but God said it. And his word was creative. Mary knew this. In, in, we, we read this in the Gospels. When Mary found out she was going to give birth uh, and it was going to be a, an immaculate conception. How is this possible? You know, this, this answers the question not of why God did it, but of how he did it. He did it by his word. And Mary understood, as the angel told her, with God, nothing is impossible. Now you break that down in the Greek, literally, and it says, with God, no word is without power. God's word, and the word power just means to be able. So God's word is powerful. God's word is creative. How that happens, I don't know, but this is the fact. It says that, that then God said, and this goes on and on throughout Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 6, then God said. Look at verse 9, then God said. Look at verse 11, then God said. Verse 14, then God said. All of this happening by the word of God. This is why we're reading through the Word of God. The Word of God is living and powerful. The Word of God is very important for our lives. And he said, let there be light, and there was light. He saw the light that it was good. Now, what's missing in, in this verse? What's missing from verse 3? How about the sun? See, one of the things that, that I think, in, in my crazy mind, I'm thinking, okay, here's what I've been told by people, well, the Bible, it's, it's, a, it's a good moral book, you know, a lot about morality, but it was just man's attempt to look at, look at the world he lives in and try to explain it in, in a way that he understands. So man creates God to explain things he doesn't understand. And so it's just a book that's made up by man. You ever heard that? I've been told that. Now, if I'm, I'm putting myself back, uh, you know, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years ago, and I'm looking at the world I live in, and if I'm trying to explain, you know, the existence of these things, I would say, and then God created the sun, and from the sun came light. Wouldn't, isn't that what you, wouldn't that be the natural thing to do? So what primitive ancient being would look at the world he lives in and say that God created light before the sun? Our only knowledge, really, uh, the only knowledge of a primitive person of light would be the sun, other than a light bulb, but that's much more modern invention. So... The question is, so if there's no sun, where is the light coming from? So we have to talk a little bit about light. This is like science class 101 today. So hang with me. Hopefully this is meaningful uh, to you. What is light? We should also highlight right up front that light is more generally referred to as electromagnetic radiation. But too often when we say light, it's mistaken to mean optical light which is roughly the radiation visible to our eyes. So some light we see, much of the light we don't see. Light travels really fast and has become sort of the baseline for measuring uh, speed and distance. A light year, listen, a light year is the distance light travels in one year at the speed of 186,282 miles per second. That's how fast light travels in one year, 6 trillion miles. 
That's a light year. And we measure things in, terms, in our galaxy in terms of light years. I mean, that's huge. How huge is it? Well, think about this. Light from the sun, if you look up at the sun right now, you're seeing light that's eight seconds old. It left the sun eight seconds ago, so it's, it's eight seconds old by the time it travels the 93 million miles to get to Earth. Just to put it in perspective, if you could drive to the sun from Earth at 60 miles per hour, it would take you 177 years to get there. In one second, light goes around the Earth seven times. One second. Now, I thought Florida was far. Florida is one of those states where you cross the state line. Anybody, if you travel to Florida, you cross the state line, you're like, oh, I'm in Florida, but I've still got five hours to go to get where I'm going in Florida. So, uh, perspective. Now, the, the cosmic microwave background, the first light, again, in scientific terms, uh, cosmologists, astronomers, they study the light that was emitted in their mind from the Big Bang. And that's what they're looking at to try to determine the age of the universe. But it was light. It was cosmic radiation. But what they have come to discover is that, and I'll read, this is from space.com. Uh, not, this, not this space, right? I didn't, this is from a, a website about these things. For the first 380,000 years after the Big Bang, the intense heat from the universe's creation made it essentially too hot for light to shine. Atoms crashed together with enough force to break up into a dense, opaque plasma of protons, neutrons, and electrons that scattered light like fog. So what they say is the light that was created initially was invisible. And actually they say that for a period, the universe was in a, a state of darkness, which is exactly what God's Word said, that there was darkness. And then God created light, but at that point was an invisible light. It was this electromagnetic radiation. And it wasn't until much, much later on, as the universe cooled, that things began to congeal, and that's when the sun was formed much later after light was formed. Isn't that fascinating? We come back, we go, wow, how could a man writing a book, you write a book about the universe, go for it. Let's see how good of a book, an accurate book you can come up with, just thinking and postulating about the things that you see. Absolutely miraculous to get the order of the light and the sun, because the sun's not down here till day four. So, let there be light. Light be and light was. And he saw that it was good. And, and this is another repeated thing over and over through the first days of creation. He did this and it was good. He did this and it was good. He did this and it was good. As if there was a question as to whether or not it would be. Now, when I create something, there is a question, especially at dinner time, if I'm cooking. There is a question as to whether or not it will be good or not. So when I see it, it's like a sense of relief. Ah, oh, it was good. You know, if it, if it really was good, then I can be relieved because I was creating it but not sure how it's going to come out. So you might read this and get the impression that, well, maybe God wasn't sure. He just kind of created it and go, whew, it was good. That's, that's a relief. But I think in my mind, again, I think God has two things in mind. I think, number one, I think he's enjoying his creation. He brings these things into being and he looks at them and he just enjoys seeing what he's made. We understand that, right? When you do make something, your kids understand that. They make something for you, and they want you to see it, and they're, like, proud of it. You know, it's a stick figure and uh, colored out of the lines, but it doesn't matter. They are so proud of that. They want you to see it, and they want you to tell them it's good. And you do tell them it's good because it's beautiful because they created it. And so God's looking at this creation going, oh, it's good. And in the meantime, he's got us in mind. Remember, all of this is pointing toward us. 
The, the universe, from God's standpoint, is earth-centric. Even though we're not at the center of the universe, geographically speaking, in God's mind, remember, he created the heavens and the earth. The earth is singled out as separate. And now all the focus of creation is on where? The earth. We are, God is earth-centered, and he's human being-centered. And we'll see that as we go through. And so I think, he says it's good. I think he's thinking about us enjoying it. I think, man, wait till they see, wait till they learn about cosmic radiation. You know, wait till they learn about these things. Knowing full well that they would use those things, that we would use those things to try to prove that the creator didn't exist. That's another story. So God calls the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Now let's tackle another issue here. Circle the word day. Uh, and, and this is a big discussion, is are these literal 24-hour days or are these long periods of time? The word yom in Hebrew can mean an extended period of time. For instance, the day of the Lord is not a single 24-hour period. It's, it's an age. It's a period of time. But by far and, and largely, the meaning of the word yom is a 24-hour period. Now, I think God is trying to make this pretty simple for us because, look, if we've agreed that he created, then do we really need to argue about how long it took him? I mean, really. Because we try, we're trying to get God up to date with science. And that's always a problem. We're trying to, to, to do that. Uh, to the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as a day. What that says to me is God can do in a day what, what would take someone a thousand years to do. So you hash this out. What I'm telling you is he's made it a little bit simple for us. Look at verse 5. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Now, all you have to do is look out your window. If it's light out, you say it's day. And if it's dark out, you say it's night. And that all happens how long? 24-hour period. So, you know, I'm not going to argue over these things. I wouldn't divide with someone if they thought it was ages. But the problem you run into with ages is we're going to have plant life before we have a sun. And if you have plant life for long ages with no sun, you got trouble. And we're going to have plant life with no pollinators. One out of every three bites of food you take is thanks to a honeybee. And the honeybee is responsible for pollination, for 80% of the pollination on the face of the earth. Now, how can you have plants created to reproduce but needing pollination for a long age with no sun and no pollination? They would just die. So that's just my perspective on it. I think you got trouble when you try to make these into long ages. God just says, the morning, the evening and the morning, the first day. Okay, I can take it at face value. Uh, one more thing to notice, does God have it backwards? Wait a second, God, it's the morning and the evening the first day. Isn't that what it should be? Or, or maybe it's we who have it backwards. See, to this day, the Jews begin their day at 6 o'clock at night or at sundown. Their day starts in darkness and moves to light. Our day starts in light and moves to darkness. I like this way better. I like moving into light, not moving into darkness. And of course, this is all this God is speaking to us. Our lives, they start in darkness. We, you know, there's so much in the Bible about truth and light and these comparisons. And, and our lives, you know, when I, before I got saved, I was in darkness. And then... I, the light of God shone in my life, and all of a sudden, my life started to move to daytime, to full light, to truth, to understanding. All these things I did not understand until I, got God, until I, I found God's word, until God found me. 
So my life started in darkness and moved to light. That's why I like evening, morning, the first day. Are we all together with this? Let's move on. If you're not, you can send me an email. We can bat it out on the, on the uh, internet. Verse 6. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. So day two of creation seems that God is creating during the daytime, which is another interesting thing um, in, in his terms. Possibly this light uh, and day, night and darkness. There's possibly some rotation of these, uh, these primitive uh, materials that God used to create the earth. But now he says, he talks about this firmament. The firmament has a name. It's called heaven, right? Now, heaven is used a different, different ways, three different ways specifically in the Bible. The word firmament means an expanse. It's an expanse, like a blacksmith hammering out a piece of steel, stretching it out, thinning it out. That's what the word firmament means. So God takes, doesn't actually create something here, but he puts a space, a, a large expanse in between kind of in the middle of, that's what the word uh, divide means. It means in between these waters. So there's this big water vapor or whatever it is, ice crystals, this primitive atmosphere, and God in it divides it. The waters then are above and below what, what I would call the atmosphere, Earth's atmosphere. Can you go with that? We, we look out and we say, oh, look at the stars in the heavens, or the stars in heaven. So obviously heaven is used of the, the dwelling place of God, and it's also used of our immediate atmosphere, but we're looking into this division between the outer atmosphere and the waters of the earth. So let's bat this around a little bit because this, you may be thinking, well, does this mean the clouds or what is, is meant by this? Let's just talk about water first. Do you know what a miracle water is? This is why uh, the scientific community is so bent on finding water on other planets because water is essential to life as we know it. Now, our kind of life doesn't have to be the kind of life on another planet. If there was life on another planet, it could be a life that didn't need water. But we think in terms of ourselves. So scientists are trying, desperately trying to find water. Because water is such a unique molecule. Instead of being straight, it's bent at about a 140 degree angle. It's got two hydrogens and an oxygen, so it attracts itself. It's sticky. And that property allows it to have some behaviors that without those behaviors, life on Earth wouldn't exist as we know it. It's, I love surface tension. I used to love watching the, the water striders on the creek. You know, you know what a water strider is? That little spidery-looking insect. It just kind of floats. You ever wish you, you could be like for a day a water strider? Like you could just... Jesus was. He walked on water. But see, that's not completely impossible. All it needs is a little strengthening of a law that already exists, surface tension. And, and because the water strider is so light and his legs are spread out, he's able to, to float... On, right on the surface of the water, that's because of surface tension, and that's because of the, uh, the way water is made, the way water has been engineered. Water exists in all three phases on the earth at the same time, under the conditions of the earth. It's vapor, it's solid, and it's liquid. That's, that's the only liquid, or the only uh, element or material that can do that, has that property. So water uh, is covering about 71% of the uh, earth's surface, the oceans hold about 96.5% of all the water. 
where did the salt come from? That's a topic for another discussion. The volume of water on the earth, about 332.5 million cubic miles. And a cubic mile, so it's 332.5 million cubic miles, and then a cubic mile of water equals more than 1.1 trillion gallons, just to give you some trivial pursuit information. So water in general is pretty miraculous, necessary for life. You can go for almost a month without food, but you can't go more than three days without water. Dehydration is a very serious thing. Your body's made up of 60 to 70% water. One guy said, we're all that close to drowning. So what's this firmament above? So we got the, firm, the, the water below. We'll talk about the seas in the next, on the next day of creation. But what about this firmament above? See, it turns out, many uh, scientists agree that at one time, the climate on the face of the earth was pretty uh, universal, meaning that there was, it was tropical all over the place, including the Arctic Circle. This was just from CBS News, May uh, 2006. Scientists have found out that the North Pole, something about the North Pole that could send a shiver down Santa's spine. It used to be downright balmy. In fact, 55 million years ago, the Arctic was once a lot like Miami. With an average temperature of 74 degrees, alligator ancestors, and palm trees, scientists say. This is based on core uh, drilling that they were doing 1,000 feet below the floor. And then they go on to say, imagine a world where there are uh, dense sequoia trees and cypress trees like in Florida that ring the Arctic Ocean. That was from a Yale geology professor. And then he goes on to say it was probably a tropical paradise, but the mosquitoes were probably the size of your head. That would keep me from it right there. But interesting, he remarks on the fact that this tropical uh, conditions existed all over the planet. Another uh, observation that's made uh, by, uh, by one gentleman, complete bodies, not just bones of mammoths, rhinoceroses, and other mammals, which were destroyed and put into a deep freeze of Arctic glacial ice so suddenly that grass, branches, and leaves of hardwood trees they were eating at the moment did not have time to digest. Also in Siberia and Alaska, they find this tropical vegetation in a place where there shouldn't be such things. So what many people speculate uh, is that at one time the earth was covered with a vaporous sort of cloud, very similar to, you don't have to look farther than our own solar system, Jupiter. Again, it's not made of, of water in, at Jupiter, but we see evidence for planets enshrouded by gaseous um, coverings, gra- gaseous clouds that cover the whole planet. Saturn, of course, has rings containing ice crystals. So all this connects back to uh, Noah's flood. All this connects back to uh, the ice ages, but we'll talk about that when we go farther into Genesis. Just know for now, what God speaks of in the Bible is consistent with what scientists continue to discover. And I think that once, you know, it's interesting, knowing the Bible helps you to be more up-to-date scientifically than scientists. Scientists go, whoa, look what we discovered. You know, we discovered maybe there used to be a vapor canopy over the whole planet. We go, yeah, we knew that. So many things. So the ferment above, the ferment below, the, the tropical... You know, do the research on this. Look it up yourself. Don't take my word for it. The tropical canopy over the whole earth. So we move on uh, from the second day, verse 9. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. 
So God had begun to coagulate, I guess you could say, all of these uh, geological components, brings those together into uh, dry land. The, the seas gather together. Um, many believe that there was at one time one continent on the face of the earth, and that over time the continents have separated, drifted apart. The early continent would have been called Pangaea, but not by God, but by scientific community. So it seems that that may be the case, that God gathered the land in one place, and the sea was then surrounding it, and God called the dry land earth. Verse 10, And the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Now today we see a world with just that, plural. We see seas. We see a, a variety of seas, the, the, the water, bodies of water. Um, again, I, I look back to science. Even today, there is, a, there is a, an understanding that all of the seas, all the oceans on the planet are all interconnected. Um, I'm, this is from uh, Marine Bio. Though we usually treat the oceans as four separate entities, they are actually interconnected. This can be seen most easily by looking at a map of the world as seen from the South Pole. From this view, it's clear that the Pacific Atlantic Indian Oceans are, are large branches of one vast ocean system. So although the, the land masses have connected and moved, the, the sea, the system of waters across the planet is still just one interconnected system of one worldwide ocean. So I don't think I need to go into much more explanation there. I think we're, we're good with that. God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And again, God saw that it was good. Verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit, according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. So it's on the third day that God, again, we don't see God creating a pre-mortal slime, then out of that slime comes, uh, you know, a, a, an amoeba, and the amoeba eventually becomes an a aquatic animal, and the aquatic animal grows legs and comes onto the land. Not that way at all, according to God's word. But I want you to pay, pay close attention to a few things. Uh, verse 11, let the earth bring forth grass. And notice at verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass. The planet was smart enough to obey God. The natural elements, look, the, the natural elements of the world are smart enough and know to obey the word of God. It's us humans that struggle with that. God says it, the earth does it. God says it, and it happens. It's in our lives that we question, we go, you know, can you imagine if, if the earth was given human characteristics for a minute? God said, you know, bring forth grass. And the earth said, ah, how can we trust you? I'm not sure we should. Maybe there's another way. Let the earth bring forth grasses, the herbs, the bushes, the bushy uh, vegetative life. And, and notice he says that yields seed. Circle that word, seed. So which came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken came first. I just ruined it for you. The chick God, he, he says, let the earth bring forth the grass. So the grass comes up, the trees come up, and what do they have in their fruit? Seeds. Now, in that seed, I was, 
The funny thing about this is I was home studying last night, going over these things, and I had a bag of sunflower seeds. I'm just kind of munching, reading. Yeah, God said, and I'm like, wait a second here. I'm eating these seeds, these sunflower seeds. And I stopped, and I cracked one open. I, I just eat the shells. Do you eat the shells? I eat the shells with the seed. You got to chew them up real good. Uh, but I started looking at the seed, and I just looked at you see, Have you seen a sunflower seed? It's like this little, tiny, dull, brown thing. And, and who could ever have conceived that in that seed is all of the information for the life of a future sunflower? All in that seed. And it doesn't get activated in my stomach. Thankful for that. You, know, you tell kids, you put that, you don't eat the watermelon seeds. Which brings up the question, where do seedless watermelons come from? That's another story. You know, you don't eat, but this thing gets activated when? When it gets buried. Something sparks that. All of a sudden, the program starts churning. The information starts being kicked out. And all of the information for life in that seed begins to spring forth and you get a new sunflower. Now, the sunflower looks nothing like the seed it came from, does it? And that sunflower in it has thousands more seeds for thousands more sunflowers. And if you planted every one of those seeds, you'd get thousands times thousands of sunflowers and all this information in that tiny seed. Now, this is important for a couple reasons because sometimes we wonder, you know, we talk about as, as Christians, we have these earthly bodies, but when we die and are resurrected, we talk about a resurrection body. And that kind of freaks us out. Like, what could, a resu- what could a new body be? This body's corruptible, but a new body, what, a, a, a spiritual body. You know, some of you may conceive that you're going to be in heaven kind of floating around with a harp and wings and maybe like a spirit or a ghost. You are going to have a body, a tangible body. Now, Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians 15 using... These very facts right here. He says, you plant a seed. What you have doesn't come to life until it's buried. And once it is buried, all of the information contained therein bring forth a new body for that plant. A new body comes out of that seed. Now, that sunflower is distinctly connected to that sunflower seed, right? All the information is in there. But does it look anything like it? No, it doesn't. So our spiritual bodies... I have no idea what it's going to look like, but that sunflower seed is a lot more beautiful than, uh, that, excuse me, the sunflower is a lot more beautiful than that sunflower seed, isn't it? It's a lot more spectacular. And if that sunflower seed has some, a level of glory and you plant that thing in the ground and what comes up is that sunflower that is way more glorious, then think about you when your body is planted in the ground and then God calls it forth to resurrection and, and what will it be like? I don't know, but it's going to be a lot more glorious. Hair like Fabio. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> I told you about using that joke in Italy, didn't I? When I was in Italy, I, I mentioned that I, I talked about you having hair like Fabio, and there was a guy named Fabio sitting in the first row. And they were all asking each other, because I was using through an interpreter, and they were all saying, what's so special about his hair? They didn't know about the Italian actor and model named Fabio with the long, anyway, that's my glorified body. God's going to, yeah. I digress. So in that seed, <laughs> in that seed is what we call DNA, which scientists are still baffled by how it could have evolved. How did, how did, it's a program. Listen, folks, 
It is information. It's a program. It's readable. It can be transcribed and transferred and put into other and symbolized. It is absolutely miraculous. Now, you wouldn't look at your, you know, we, we do look at our computers. We look at our computers and we say, wow, computers are amazing, aren't they? But think about it. A computer could do nothing without the programmer who programmed it to do everything it's doing. It can do it quickly, more rapidly, but it couldn't do anything unless it had been programmed to do so. Now, maybe if you like uh, to go see a show, I use the ballet example. None of us would show up to the Nutcracker Suite thinking that that group of dancers had just decided to get together that morning, and they're all going to show up on stage and start dancing randomly and whatever came to mind, and that somehow they would produce the Nutcracker Suite. It's clearly choreographed. If you look inside a cell, DNA, let me give you this, this here. If you put all the DNA molecules in your body, every cell in your body has one, or ha- ha- has DNA. If you put all the DNA molecules in your body end to end, your DNA would reach from the earth to the sun and back over 600 times. If you could type 60 words per minute, eight hours a day, it would take 50 years to type the human genome. And all these things are, they call them mitosis and meiosis. These are the process of, of uh, replication and, and division. And I mean, just absolutely, it's like a choreographed dance to watch what is happening in the cells of your body at any given moment. The processes are absolutely unfathomable. Unfathomable. I, this is a book I have called um, uh, The Secret Life of Se- Lives of Cells, How We Live and Why We Die, written by a guy who's a, uh, a medical biology professor in England, um, he uses design. He's an atheist. He comes from an, a, a, an anti-God perspective. But he talks about development, development of the human embryo being like origami, like paper folding, that one step is determined by the previous step. It's like not the whole process at once. Each step yields to the next step, like folding paper. He says development is like origami, dependent on a generative program. Well, where did that program come from? It is also worth noting that the complexity of development is due to the complexity of individual cell behavior rather than the complexity of interactions between the cells of embryos. So you know that to make a human being, you have to have two uh, cells, each with half of the information, that come together to make a new life. And we call that cell a zygote. Uh, I want to read this to you. This is from uh, one more spot in this book. Lewis Thomas, a highly regarded physician wrote in his book, The Medusa and the Snail, about the miracle of how one sperm cell fuses with one egg cell to produce the cell we know as a zygote, which nine months later will become a newborn human being. He concluded, the mere existence of that cell should be one of the greatest astonishments of the earth. People ought to be walking around all day, all through their waking hours, calling to each other in endless wonderment, talking of nothing except that cell. That is how miraculous that, that even in, in human beings, in, in, and we'll get there later on, but in plant life, all the information, all the DNA is in that seed, all in there. Um, no, a, a Nova quote says, as viewed from a human perspective, nature has, done, nature has done some ingenious engineering to overcome some of the obstacles it faced. So I think that uh, some people will say, well, it takes faith to believe 
in that God created. I say it, faith, it takes faith to believe anything but that. I mean, it takes faith to believe that in the beginning there was nothing and nothing became slime and slime got struck by lightning and lightning became life and life began to grow. And we have all these problems that develop for the evolutionary biologist. When have, when's the last time you saw lightning strike something and create life? You see, it doesn't take faith. Science says, write this down, called the law of biogenesis. The law of biogenesis. I was at a little forum with a group of pastors and a group of uh, scientific uh, academics from UVA a number of months ago. They, pay, uh, they paid us to come together to help give feedback on some literature they were writing about faith and science. And so they showed us some things, asked us some questions. We all kind of talked about it. And it was all day thing. And so during one of the breaks, one of the guys I was with was the, was the um, head of the, um, the Department of Astronomy at, uh, at UVA. Another guy was the head of the biology department. And so I grabbed the biology guy on a break. I'm like, man, I cornered him. Like, I have got a question for you because I've been thinking some things and I need to know, I need you to shoot some holes in them for me. Hey, I'm putting it out there. I want you to shoot it down. Now, I'm a Christian. You know that. We've been here. You know I believe in the beginning God created. And I've learned that life can only come from life. Life can only come from life. That's what the law of biogenesis says. That's what all of our experience says. My existence proves the existence of my parents. That tree's existence proves the existence of the tree that spawned it because everything is created, as the Bible says, after its own kind from the seed that's in it. So I said, well, you know, if the law of biogenesis says that life only comes from life, but you're telling me that in the beginning there was no life and then there became life, isn't that anti-scientific? Can, can you shoot a hole in that for me? He said, I can't. And then he walked away. <laughs> I said, what's wrong with my thinking? Where am I going wrong in this? He said, you're right. You're right about that. Life only comes from life. It's, it's a Frankensteinian story to think that you can compile individual dead parts, sew them together somehow, subject them to lightning, and then all of a sudden, it is alive. That does not happen. That is fiction. Listen, it's fiction. The Bible tells me that we have a very scientific explanation for where we've come from. We recognize a life giver. His name is God, the God of the Bible. Jesus Christ is the giver of life. I am the way, the truth, and I am the life. God breathed life. See, God had life. He breathed life into Adam. And what happened to Adam? He became a living being, just as the law of biogenesis says. So to believe that in the beginning something came from nothing, uh, then something got struck by lightning, and all of a sudden he came alive, is a, a suspension of the law's of, of biology, and that would be, in my mind, a miracle. So next time you meet someone who believes in evolution, you say, oh, you believe in miracles. And then you can tell them about the law of biogenesis. If you can prove me wrong, send me an email. I haven't sound, seen anything that can do that. With our last few minutes, I want you to also know that not just about the seed and the fruit, and man, oh, fruit is so good, but don't overlook that little seed that you usually spit out. That's got a lot of information in it. But look at the other thing. It says that it yields fruit according to its kind. That's the second part of the law of biogenesis. Everything reproduces according to its kind. Cats give birth to... No, they give birth to kittens. Yes, cats, you're right. Because they have to start as kittens because that's, that's how kids 
convince their parents to buy these animals because they're cute, and then they become cats, and that's another story. Cats give birth to cats, giraffes give birth to giraffes, dogs to dogs, bears to bears, people to people. It always is so. Does any of your experience ever show anything different than that? No. So there's all these you know, transitional life forms that now science is claiming we found this transitional life form. The world should be filled with active, living, transitional life forms. Now, sometimes I've met some people, and I wonder, are you? At, no, maybe not. Uh, and, to, and with my last few minutes here, because this is what evolution says is that through natural selection. Now, now remember, uh, the genetic information allows completely for variation within a species, right? I mean, that's what Darwin saw. He saw finches with all different kinds of beaks, but they were still finches. And he extrapolated from that, well, if this happens, then maybe this is how other species came to be. It never happens because things always reproduce according to their own kind, just as these ancient and primitive and silly people knew as they were inventing a god. How could they know it? It's clearly what we see. Everything reproduces according to its kind. So to prove this, the perfect uh, experiment is on fruit flies. Why? Because fruit flies mature sexually in 11 days. So you can get millions and millions and millions and millions of generations. They have been doing uh, experiments on fruit flies for 100 years. Do you know how many generations you can get in 100 years? It says... uh, According to evolution, man has lived on the earth for a little over a million years, yet experiments on fruit flies have already exceeded the equivalent of a million years of people living on the earth. Here's a clear statement of the problem. The fruit fly has long been the favorite object of mutational experiments because of its fast, growing, or its fast gestational period, 12 days. X-rays have been used to increase the mutation rate in the fruit fly by 1,500, oh, excuse me, 15,000%. All in all, the scientists have been able to speed up or catalyze the evolutionary process uh, so that they could sort of reproduce what creating mutations and what happens to mutations over time would it produce a new species. And I'll sum it up for you. Guess what they found out? That a fruit fly always is a fruit fly. Now, they, gave, they served these fruit flies chemical cocktails. They gave them sunglasses, exposed them to radiation over and over and over again, trying to get anything but a fruit fly. And over 100 years and millions and millions and millions of generations, did they ever get anything but a fruit fly? Scientists, uh, the, the experiments show, no. Let me read you a couple quotes and then we'll close. Even with this tremendous speed up of mutation, scientists have not been able to come up with anything other than another fruit fly. Most important, what all these experiments demonstrate is that the fruit fly can vary within certain upper and lower limits, but will never go beyond them. So, and then there's some talk of the experiments that they, they did. So things can be, you know, a dog. I have a dog at home, a Chihuahuan. She's so cute sometimes. She's got an evil side too. I think she's Jekyll and Hyde. But I can imagine uncovering her bones and thinking she was a rodent because she just doesn't look like a dog. But she's a dog. She's a little tiny, has little tiny legs, but she's a dog. There's variation within species, but they're still dogs. Right? So that's recognizable. But it's going from one species to another. That's where the trouble comes in. That's where Darwin had his issues. Let me read a couple final quotes here because this is going to blow your mind. The evidence is overwhelming that such accidents, evolutionary mutations, uh, either make the gene worse or at best no better than the original. So any mutations typically make things worse, make the animal weaker, 
or uh, sterile, but definitely no better than the original. After 80 years and millions of generations of fruit flies subjected to x-rays and chemicals, all have been able to produce, all we've been able to produce is just fruit flies. And more importantly, they've been no better or stronger, and many have been weaker. All the changes eventually reached limits that, when approached, the strains of the fruit flies grew progressively weaker and died. And when the mutated strains, listen, this is incredible. And when the mutated strains were allowed to breed for several generations, they gradually changed back to their original form. One experiment produced fruit flies without eyes. So they, you know, bombarded these things with radiation and whatever else. And, and then all, through generations, the fruit flies had no eyes. And so after a few life cycles of letting them breed on their own without, you know, being cruel to them, uh, the flies with eyes began to appear again. Some kind of genetic repair mechanism took over and blocked any possibility of evolution. And then they go on to say, uh, God was very careful in Genesis to state that each of the animals were created after his kind. After 80 years and millions of generations, God was proven right. A fruit fly will always be a fruit fly. Just as the Bible said. So we'll end with that. Um, each producing according to its own kind, whose seed is in itself. The third day. So I don't know where you are with, with God. But look, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And, and I'd say all these things. I'd go through uh, hours of research and, and just trying to, not to prove to you anything, uh, because it's ultimately by faith. Whatever you believe is going to be by faith. But here's what I want you to know, that you can have confidence in the Word of God. Because if you can have confidence in the Word of God in these first couple chapters, you can have confidence in the Word of God in all the rest of it. And that's what God is going for here. So look, I'm telling you this so that you know and so that you can trust me. And because there's some in here that, well, I believe in God, but you haven't trusted Him yet. You come to his word and you read it like a textbook, but you've never put your faith in God. He has proven and will continue to prove himself true. The Bible is not a science textbook, textbook, but where it speaks on science, it is accurate. Just as we see in Genesis 1. So with all of my heart, with all of my ability to, to move your will, I want to tell you, you can trust the word of God. You can stake your life on it. And when God's word says, I am the way the truth and the life. When Jesus says that, he means it. There is no life outside of God. There are living beings, but there is no spiritual life outside of God. And you, didn't have, you don't have your life by chance. You are created in the image of God. And our kids need to know that. And you need to know that. You can trust him completely and thoroughly. Amen? Amen. Uh, Nick, are you? Where's, come on up, Nick. Uh, as usual, the prayer room is open uh, down here. Uh, if there's something uh, on your mind, if you're struggling through these things, if you have something that you want to pray for, we're here to, uh, to pray with you over these things. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.